Amen. Oh, the Lord is good. Is it because they crucified Jesus Christ? Supposedly, yes. That's everybody looking like. Is it in the grave? The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is not in the grave. No, say never in the time. The Lord is not in the grave. Say amen. Jesus is risen. Say amen. Do you believe it? Let it show through your mask now. Smile behind the mask. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh-huh. You know who is smiling, who is laughing behind the mask. And all of you are looking like mask All right, if you believe that Jesus is alive, give me an amen. amen. Can you just shout it three times? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And I'm alive. Amen. amen. So let this show on your face. All right, there was too much uh, mourning. You know, people seem that they must enact the... The only time Jesus Christ said you should do that is all these sisters we are doing. I hope it's just for us. He didn't say we should do it. The one he said we should do is what? Communion table. Thank you very much. It's at that time you will remember. Okay, so, but you know, in the world we like festivals, so this is our annual festival. Amen? Amen. All right, but let's at least let's rejoice. Amen? Because I was wondering whether people thought that they crucified him yesterday. <laughs> and they were still feeling very bad. You know, they said, are you the, are you the only one in, in uh, is it Jerusalem? That does not know what has been going on recent times. Say, Pastor Banker, you don't know what happened yesterday. Say, what happened? The, uh, the... <laughs> Amen. No. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Lord is if you believe, you give me an amen. amen. All right, let's take our seats in a moment. But before we do that, let's quickly take our declaration of understanding. And for those who don't know it by heart, quickly look at the, on the cover of that magazine, at the bottom of that page, you see how we take our declaration, how we waken up our spirits when we want to study so we can have understanding. All right, one, two, let's go. Now I declare that's given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. All right, we are getting ready for that again today, the entrance of the healing power of God. All you need to do is to pay attention. And that word will heal you again today in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, with Jesus, there's nothing that is incurable. He's a great physician. I want you to bear that in mind. The heart that is weak, he will strengthen it. Kidneys that are not working, he will wake them up. Yeah. Yes, that's what he does. That's just his character. That's his nature. That's his ability. All we need to do is get ready to receive that which he's giving to us. And those physical things that he does, they are a sign of what he's doing spiritually. I hope you're getting my point. Yes, it's waking up spirits that are dead. It's giving life to them again. It's removing curses from the hearts and the lives of people. That's what he does. He removes environmental curses. He removes personal curses. This season we are celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many times we don't know what it means. We shouldn't just celebrate, eat food, take a holiday, and leave it there. We should understand the significance of what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. What am I trying to say? By virtue of his death and resurrection, we have been reconciled to God. Somebody give me an amen. amen. And that is why our bodies reconciled with healing. I hope you're getting my point. By the virtue of his death and resurrection, we've been reconciled, we've been forgiven. The curses in our lives have been broken. Give me an amen. amen. 
And that's why we have been delivered from poverty and we are brought into abundance. I hope you're getting my point. That power of deliverance, somebody will receive in a new measure again today in Jesus' name. All right, the Lord is good. Now remember, do we pay? Is it free? No, answer me. Is it free? Is it free? Do we sow a seed? Or do you mean? Yes, we sow now. What seed do we sow? What seed do we sow? Attention. We pay what? Attention. We don't, we can't, it's not money seed. It's attention. You have to give something. What you give is attention. It said you shall hearken diligently. It means you shall listen, listening. That's literal Hebrew. Hebrew. And that's what I want to do today. Listen, listening. Listen, listen. That is, you hearken diligently. You pay attention. Unbelief that the disobedience is a sign of lack of attention. Have you noticed that you give an instruction to somebody, especially adults, not only children? They didn't, they didn't hear half of what you said. And they say, okay, sir. And they go out to carry it out. At the end of the day, they scatter everything. According to Mike Mudok, if you're a boss, 10% of your job is giving out instructions. 90% is repeating them. That's Mike Mudok. He said 10% of your job is to tell people what they are supposed to do. And he has discovered over time that 90% of the time, what are you doing? You are repeating what you told them before. The major problem with people is that they don't heed instruction. They don't, now when I say heed, not just to obey. Obedience is a natural outflow of having paid attention. Obedience comes into your life if you attend diligently. That's why he said, my son, attend to my words. What am I saying today? Anyone who wants to enjoy, participate in the power of resurrection, you have one thing you must give to God. That is what? Attention. So I'm telling you again today, pay attention. If you are streaming, all right, live, you are joining us on Facebook, Twitter, Mixlr, or um, YouTube, remember, try not to multitask. We often try to do that. As you are listening to this, you want to be washing your clothes. Please, close it. Sit down and listen. Don't multitask. If you are doing two things, you are going to divide the power. Only small will enter. If you are doing three things, and remember, spiritual things are exponential. So it's not just divided by three. It is time, ten, ten to, ten, times 10 to power minus three or something like that. They're exponential. All right? So if you want to do three things, listen to me, you are going to reduce the power drastically until it becomes insignificant. But if you want the full flow of the power, I'm telling you again, pay attention. What did I say? All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. All right. Quickly open your Bibles, please. Let's uh, commence today. We have been looking at the entrance of faith. And um, if you look at the way I've been doing the teaching on uh, entrance of faith, I've not been speaking much about techniques and, you know, methods of faith at all. What I've just been emphasizing is that if you have information, if you are acquainted with spiritual things, faith will come into your heart naturally. That's how faith is. If you are acquainted with spiritual things, faith will come into your heart naturally, especially as a believer in Christ Jesus. That's the way it works. Even God said it to Israel. He told Isaiah, go and deaden the ears of the, of the people. Because if they understand, I will be forced to heal them. That's what he was saying. You understand that principle? So, if people have understanding, if people have insight, if you know how spiritual things work, faith comes into your heart automatically. I said something last time that, listen, you see, when you hear somebody like Elisha relax in the midst of the attack of, an, of a foreign army, it's because of something he knows. Knowledge was what kept him calm. 
You may say he was walking by faith. That is true. You're not lying. But it's more accurate to say he was walking by the knowledge of the spiritual. And that's what you call faith. The man, um, the centurion, who said to Jesus, you don't have to come into my house. And Jesus said, this is great faith. What did he say? I understand the way power flows. And that's all he just said to the Lord Jesus Christ. The other woman who was said to have had great faith like him also, the Syrophoenician woman, he just understood that I don't need much of it. It may be the children's bread, but dogs actually feed from crumbs that fall down that you sweep out and throw out to the dogs. Why can't I take from that? And Jesus said, great is thy faith. And none of these people thought they were having faith. That's the point I want us to understand. So real faith is not when you think you have faith. Real faith is acquaintance with spiritual truths. And you are walking by them. And that's what we've been trying to do. And two things I want to do to boost our faith in that regard. One, for us to understand what God did for us in Christ Jesus. And two, for us to know who God is again. Just to talk about the Lord. Just to talk about the Lord. For example, I do this a lot of time. I I talk about healing. Because, you know, every day we are inundated with information concerning how diseases come. And that's because science has advanced tremendously. It has advanced. They understand genes. You know, they started from things outside, not knowing what really happens. They talk about humors, flow of humors. Then they kept, later on they realized, oh no, there's this cellular basis for disease. And then they began to study under the microscope, dissect people who died from diseases to find out what's going wrong. And they began to characterize every physical manifestation. Then they saw the agents of the diseases. They even broke them down to different categories. Some of them are uh, infectious agents and they have no, no, they kept on classifying them. Detailed understanding of diseases. Now, for many people, as soon as they grasp that understanding, I've seen it many places, they'll say, oh, they used to say these were plagues of the gods, but now we know they were bacteria. I said, that's foolishness. I'll be getting my point. The fact that you now know bacteria has not changed the fact that those were plagues of, in quotes, the gods. I hope you're getting my point. After all, most bacteria on this earth are either totally innocuous, they don't do anything to anybody, or they help. Yes. If they count the number of cells in your body and count the bacteria on you, the competition now is which one is more. You probably have more bacteria than your own cells. Oh, as a matter of fact, most of them are in the skin and in the gut. Without the ones in the gut, you don't have vitamin K. <laughs> God didn't create it. I mean, they were not disease agents originally. They were dead. They have their own functions. The things that God created, they started from the very tiny to the very massive. So it, it is also in the, you know, the living, the world of living things. So why did some bacteria suddenly start infecting people? God said it like this, or Jesus said it like this, an enemy what? Has done this. And that's what we're talking about. Something must have gone wrong. And those who understand spiritual things we will say, even though you understand the role of bacteria, even though you know viruses, even though you know all these tiny things that cause diseases, even though you know the power of, and I'll get to that in a moment, the matter of aging, all right? It doesn't change the fact of the spiritual. We don't understand spiritual things. We just say, these are the fingers of an invisible agent. I hope you're getting my point. You, will not, you won't say because you saw a bullet that killed somebody. It means that there are no murderers because bullets kill. I hope you're getting my point. We understand that the bacteria are nothing but bullets. Somebody fires them. Now, what happened to the world? That's what I'm going to explain. Because of this depth of knowledge, they suddenly took all the power and gave it to mankind. So if human beings say we can't cure something, the church will say, that Christians, even Christians will say it's what? Incurable, which is a lie. So I try to remind people, don't worry about it. Jesus is a doctor too. He's a, he's a literal, literal doctor. 
There was one testimony I heard one, of man, one man of God give. I, it was so outstanding, do you understand, that before he gave the testimony, he said, he almost took an oath. Like I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I shall give in this case before this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. He almost did that. He said, I stand on my honor as so and so person. I will say this before, I will say this before any court, before any jury, and before God Almighty. He first said that because he realized that what I'm about to say is serious. That is nothing. You see, one at the morning, you're like, is it so big? But people never accept. He said, I have seen God in response to prayer fill teeth. That is cavities. He said, I've seen it being filled with gold. That before we started praying, the fellow had the gap in the tooth. You see a hole there. We pray. It's been filled and the thing is shining like gold. He said, I've seen all kinds of materials being used to fill people's teeth. The last one I heard him say a few days ago, he said he was praying for a particular man. You understand? And he said, listen, he prayed for his legs, prayed for his hands. And the man said, look, my teeth are scattered. He showed him the teeth. He said, he, he, said, he didn't even have the faith. Myself, I was a bit you know, afraid. So he told him, no problem. He laid his hands on him and then left. The man's wife pursued him and said, come, come and see my husband's teeth. By the time the man opened the teeth, the mouth, the teeth were all perfectly arranged. Jesus is a dentist too. That's where I'm going. Many of us can believe him for, I mean, this man, when he wanted to give testimony, he had to, he said, he had to take an oath that what I'm telling you, I've witnessed. And I will say it before any court and before God Almighty. I've seen God fill teeth with exotic materials. He said one of them, a dentist saw it and said he has never seen this kind of material. Don't try my Jesus. So. When I say, don't, you know, don't try me, like, no, no joke with him at all. The problem we have is that we have cast all the faith and given them to humans. So when a doctor says, take this medicine, one in the morning, by 9 a.m., one by 1 p.m., and that one by 9 p.m., your scatter is all like that, we will set alarm, we will do everything. And say, take it daily for six months. You will take it daily. Your wife will remind you. Your mother will call you that, have you taken the medicine? <laughs> Everybody has faith in what that little guy has a bachelor's in medicine and surgery. He's a fellow of the West African College of Physicians. And he did, a, he did his fellowship for one year in Hammersmith. And he said, he, how old is he? The boy is even 36. It's not an old man. He's not the ancient of this. <laughs> That's what I'm making. But when he gives instructions, Steve, everybody will obey. And when he's coming with his stash white coat, all these sick people will be looking at him for help. Well, if Jesus says, read Matthew chapter 1, say, I'm still sleeping. Read Proverbs chapter 4. It is as if it's when it is convenient. That's why we like to read it. At the end of the day, to not be, if you somebody who say, I'm praying, I'm not believing, I'm not going to, they also say, ah, why do you want to take a risk with your life like that? Yeah. Don't let God enjoy you. One day I saw one pastor, in fact, from somewhere near here, came to town for come and do a program. I feel like saying, bros, you don't have faith. Forget this job you are doing here, minister. You ain't got faith. One woman stood up to ask a question. You understand? Let me not tell you the kind of ministry he runs, because, um, you may start guessing who I'm talking about. <laughs> the woman stood up to ask a question. And do you know, they were talking about, okay, this matter now got to the issue of um, how do you, if you have a situation like your child is sick, you want to pray for the child, so the child will get well, but your husband is insisting you go to the doctor. How do you handle it? 
Now, let's, okay, it's a matter of home, submission, uh, uh, so, but let's not address that one now. It's what he said that made me laugh. He said, why don't you want to go to the doctor? Why don't you want to go? You don't know you're supposed to go? Turn on to fight, oh. The woman just said this, I want to exercise my faith. My husband is not cooperating. How do I handle it? He said, no, you're supposed to. I just said, bro, you have left your job. Just sit on your job. You understand? I mean, she has faith, she has faith. What's your problem? And these are ministers. We, say, we take the issue of believing God so, you know, like, no, not really, like, it's as if it's risky. We don't believe it. We don't believe it at all. We always counsel people. Be wise. Now, let me explain to you. Your so-called wisdom is nothing but faith in human systems. Don't call it anyway. Look, I'm not saying you are bad. Me and you are as bad as each other, maybe. Okay? I'm trying not to be so bad. But one thing you will not see me, the way I'm better than you if you're talking like that is that I will never make that statement. Even if I'm thinking it, I'll keep it in my heart. He said, that's why people don't believe God and they die. Come to hospital. See those who believe the doctor and they are dead. Do you know many people have seen? Let me not come and scare you now because tomorrow you say doctor now you'll get angry. They've made wrong diagnosis and people have died from it and nothing happened. Seen it again and again. One was in the news the other day. That one woman, doctor, said she had cancer of the breast. They cut off the breast. There was no cancer inside. And everyone was talking about it. I said, is this new? Is this, is this news? I've, I've made my wife almost cry with all kinds of stories I bring home. When I tell her some interesting stories, I will tell the story of a young girl at the age of 19 whose womb, tubes, ovaries were removed because of a mistaken diagnosis. I will sit down there. <laughs> oh, say, that's probably with Nigeria. No, let me give you American stories. And this will happen somewhere near New York. An old woman fell down. They brought her to hospital to go and fix her hip that she broke. Some young doctors carried her into the hospital, opened her brain. Yes? This was just a few years ago. I'm not telling you a story of 1925. They had opened her brain when they didn't see any bleeding inside. They said, ah, what's going on? Yeah, wrong patient. They closed it, closed it, and she died. I went to school. One of my profs told us his story. Of a young man that had hernia. Now, let me tell you something. Doctors, surgeons, especially young surgeons, the people they like to operate on most are young men with hernias. You know why? The risk of dying is near zero. You know why? They are strong. The hernia is not even causing any problem currently. They just, they just want to fix it. The guy is strong. You know, there are people that are not supposed to die. Even if you're a useless surgeon, they won't die. This young man came for hernia surgery. This in UK. I've left America, right? I've left Nigeria. Now I'm in the UK. And they took the poor guy, took him to the wrong theater. And some bubbly young chest surgeons cut his chest open. They forgot his hernia down there. By the time they saw his lungs, beautiful lungs, nothing wrong with them. Ah! They got confused. They thought they were operating a patient that had lung cancer. At that point, the big boss, you know, sometimes they come a little later. He just finished it. When he peeped at the lungs, he said, no, this cannot be our patient. He looked at the x-ray. He looked at the patient. He said, no. So they quickly did some checks. He said, oh, he's a young man that came from here. Oh, yeah. Close him up. Sharp, sharp. Close him up. They didn't do anything. They opened the chest. Found that the lungs were perfect. Close him up. The boy died. Did I tell you personal stories? My friend's father went for surgery. They had not done the surgery. He said, let's just put him to sleep. As they put injection, he died. Nothing, just, just like, I will inject you and you will sleep off. 
As they put the injection, the heart stopped. The man died. He was in proper hospital. The injection was everybody used to sleep all over the world. And they wake up when they finish the surgery. No, he never woke up. What am I trying to say? Believing God is not more risky than believing these guys. Life is a risk. Just know where you want to take your risk. The other day I wasn't feeling well. One of the things I told my wife, I said if I get very critically ill, gather one long, uh, uh, what do you call it? A towel. Put it here. I will lie down on it. That white towel will represent the bosom of God. If I become unconscious, it's one of two things. I will wake up and then the physical bosom, that is the real spiritual bosom of the Lord. When I get back, I will be very, very well. If, you, if I hear say you drag me, go anywhere. If I hear you drag me, go hospital. Me and you go quarrel. I said, let me fight and die. You know they call fatty and die. I will better fatty and die. <laughs> I wasn't joking because I just didn't want anybody tossing me up and down. I said, if not to die, let's die in peace. All you need to do is call Israel, call Okemote, call Yinka, call some people, say, see your pastor, won't die for hell. So that they will see when I'm dying, all of us will be there. We will just like die. But that bed, don't, don't, remove, don't remove me from there. The Lord is good. Is that not being fatalistic? When you go to hospital, is that not being fatalistic? They never do a strong thing before, have you? Sit down there. Look, let me preach my message, Joe. If I, if I finish, if I give you gist, you will run away. That's how you say, doctor, come, you, take, you, you just stop. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he won't know why. Your car is there, but the guy is too close to your car. You took a car and disappeared. What I'm trying to say is that, please, listen, believing God is not, a, it's not an evil thing. People have believed, have believed God. That is, I have seen him raise people up from the very sick. That is, people that have been given up for dead. There's one of my, my, my there's somebody I know very well. I know him personally very well. One of my wife's uh, family friends, you know. Doctors have given him up. My father-in-law looked at him and said, don't worry, you're not going to die. That God won't let you die. He got well 100%. And he's running around town. Doing his work of um, uh, charity. Look, what I'm going to say is, listen, let's recognize who Jesus is. He's a surgeon, he's a physician, he's an obstetrician, he's a gynecologist, he's a neurosurgeon, he's a neurologist, he's a dentist, he's a dental surgeon of every type. All we need to do is provoke our faith in him. He does preventive medicine too. He puts nutrients in your food. Just stop crossing the food, that's all he's saying. When I give you the food, give thanks and eat it. Whatever nutrient is not inside, I put it inside. Any toxin inside, I remove it. You don't have to know about it. I'm not a showman. It's not everything I do for you. I want it to be a testimony. I just do some things and say, don't tell anybody. Just live your life. Many, listen. Know the truth? Many deaths that God has saved you from, you did not even know there was death there. The other day I was teaching students. I got a particular point. I was teaching about heart disease. I just looked. I said, there are too many reasons to die. That staying alive is a miracle. <laughs> I don't know what I get my point. That it shouldn't be surprised somebody dies. That is normal. Because I just showed them a particular picture. I said, this kind of person will just die suddenly. You know, no way of preventing it. And once it happens, no way of stopping it. Ha! So I'm just thinking. I said, now, nah, wow. There are so many reasons to die. Some of them accidents. 
Some of them, something your body just malfunctions. All kinds of reasons. I said, eh, the, 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 you, that we are alive is what you should be talking about. If somebody died, just say, that's normal. So he was crossing the road, truck, German, pinning him against the wall. So he's dead. He said, maybe our turn is tomorrow because that's normal. Dying by truck crushing your car is normal. It should happen. Yes, I mean, if you look at the problem, it should happen. Lightning should strike somebody and they should die. They're, if they share the possibilities of dying suddenly in 24 hours with all the causes, most of us have a chance of, certain chance of dying within the next six months. You fall into a gutter, you hit your leg, you get sepsis. Sepsis will fry one part that this fellow is dead. You enter a motor, break, no go walk, just when you, the truck is coming. There's so, I just looked, I said, there are so many reasons to die. That we are alive is a surprising thing. It may sound like, you think I'm just preaching nice? You no, know, I hate thinking about the heart. Seriously. It's a funny machine. I know many reasons why it should stop. You know that thing never stops. Started beating before your mother knew she was pregnant. That's not a joke. Before a woman becomes aware that she's pregnant, the baby's heart is already beating. Let's assume that we live to be 100 years. And they can't stop. If, look, listen, every time you stop, you know. What I'm trying to say is that if it doesn't release that beat for like two seconds, you start feeling faint. If it holds it for like four seconds, you have dropped. It doesn't, look, it has to beat constantly. The body doesn't have any way of storing its beat. It's not as if, ah, my heart has been working hard, so I switched it off for the night. Tomorrow morning, we'll, we'll switch it off. <laughs> there is absolutely nothing like that. It beats constantly, all the time. Ha! So, you know, I don't like thinking about it, though. So, which kind of machine is this one? What if you just decide, okay, he wants to just take a 10-second break, and I must faint. If your liver takes a 24-hour break, you won't notice. Just be a bit uncomfortable there when he wakes up again. Oh, well, he passes the brain, take 24-hour break. What is it? We'll just be asleep. Then when he wakes up, life goes on the heart. If it mistakenly takes a break for 10 seconds, and if he decides to do it for five minutes, that is called irre- irreversible brain damage. You don't even want to be alive again. Brain is severely damaged. And the thing keeps beating. So that's why I don't like thinking about it. I say, bros, let's just be beating. Let me, let, me know you are, let me not know you are there. Just do your job. Let me not know why I'm alive. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my drift. That we are alive is the miracle. If anybody if anybody dies, it shouldn't surprise you. He died, how old is he? He says 55. He has been for 55 years. He, he, tri- he literally tried. <laughs> literally tried. I'm telling you. At the end of the first year, the heart don't try. Okay, you run constantly for one year. Let me see. <laughs> the reason why it doesn't stop beating, let me tell you, is the fact that it's Jesus that keeps us alive. It's the Spirit of God that spoke life, therefore the flesh keeps living. That's a fact. So you understand that the one who made that heart, he can fix it. That's all I'm trying to explain. He knows how it works. He keeps it going. He can fix it anytime. So if there's a problem with it, you can leave it for him to fix. The daddy, one of our brothers gave a big, beautiful testimony. I didn't think about that. I would have brought it out here to read. 
described how he was having some issues, and then they just said he was having the doctor told him he was having heart symptoms, it was heart failure. He said, "Okay, I've heard." He went home. Did he take the doctor's medicine? No. He said, "Let me go and pray." Divine health works. Let's make a long story short. It took him three weeks or so to get totally well. He said, "Now I'm back to jogging. I can jog." First thing, he prayed for some days. He think he wasn't working. Ah. So he started praying, Lord, what is going on? He, re- he repented of all bitterness, anger, everything that's inside his heart that's not right. He made sure he cleansed them. Then began to feed on the word regularly, confessing the word morning, afternoon, and night. Took him about three weeks. Then if we pray for two days, nothing flew. You know, a doctor will say, come daily for six months, give you an appointment, your surgery is in two months' time, you'll still go. What I'm just trying to say, Jesus is a healer. Somebody say amen. amen. He heals, he heals, he heals. If you lay down your bodies before him, if you lay down your body before him. You know, I've said it before, faith extending. Have a clinic day, you want to see the Lord. Yes. Literally, literally. Okay, go to a church. Now, Jesus is not in the church. I will get my point. He's not in the church building. He's everywhere. You can see him in your bathroom. You can see him in your kitchen. You can see him in your bedroom. You can see him in your sitting room. You can see him in church. You can see him in your office. Anywhere. But sometimes to extend your faith, you just do some things. You know, like, okay, I need to go and see Dr. Jesus. So where do I see him? Let me just go to church when there's nobody there. Now sit down. Lord, I came to see you. And start telling him what the trouble is. I'm, I'm serious, literally. If you can, nobody's there. Remove your shirt and show it to him. So put your hand here. This is where it is. If you press it now, you see, you can feel the pain. This, you know, just... It's a faith-extending thing. So you know you are talking to somebody. And after you finish, bow your heads and start praying. Not praying as in talking now, but like giving thanks under your breath, waiting for him to inspire you. There are different ways he will respond. Sometimes you just hear, don't worry, go, go to work. You get up, you go to work. To be two weeks later, you remember you used to be sick. Sometimes. He might give you scriptures to be eaten every day. You know, there's something I said the other time, which we must never forget. When we say we are believing, I just feel like reiterating that point. Pastor Corey told me something once. He and I were talking. He said he made a mistake with somebody. He said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to believe God. It was a serious condition. He said, I forgot to ask the person, how are you planning to do it? Because many people say they are believing God, they are doing nothing. What they call believing God is I've not seen the natural doctor. They call that believing. That's not believing God. The time I told you I wasn't feeling well, I told my wife that, listen, don't carry me. Don't. I was listening to, the, I was listening to, to messages. The gospel was playing in my ear constantly. I wake up hearing it. I go back to sleep hearing it. I wake up in the morning. I read scripture. I, de- I, I declare the word of God. I, I was very weak, but I'll play a message. I will listen to the same message again and again. It's, it's infusion. You know, you know drip. Drip, it's called drip. It will be dripping. The reason why I was home, it was not just because I was weak. It was because I knew I had to stock up on life infusion. Infusion of life. So what was he saying? That what, what I wanted to hear from the president, the prince said his own was, he took scriptures and he ate them three times a day. With breakfast, he had a number of scriptures he would confess. With lunch, he had a number of scriptures he would confess. With supper, he had a number of scriptures he would confess. And he did that daily for two months before he saw the results. So what was my brother saying that time? He said, I forgot to ask, what are you going to be doing? 
There are people say, look, I'm going on a retreat. It's not just I'm believing God. I'm believing God means I'm not taking what the doctor is saying. How are you seeing? It's, it's, you must see a doctor. Which one is what we're discussing? Which one? So you want to see the Lord that he led thee? Fine. How are you going to see him? I'm going on a retreat. One week. In the morning, this is what I'm going to do. In the afternoon, this is what I'm going to do. In the night, this is what I'm going to do. For one week, I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to be repenting of everything that I need to be repented of. I have to pray about the will of God concerning my life, whether I'm walking it, walking in it. Everything I'm supposed to be doing, let me be sure everything is right. And after the first one week, this is the dosage of the word I will be taking. Sometimes you can ask people, give me a prescription. Were you the one that told me the story of one man whose wife was seriously sick? Stage four cancer, thank you. And people, the woman was lying down, the man just told everybody that come, please. Don't go there and say Kwele, I don't want to hear Kwele. Kwele will not help us. He said he wrote scriptures on a piece of paper. If you come, you pick one. If you're going to see his wife, you read it to her. That's what I want you to do. I don't want you to say, Kwele, this world is not our home. <laughs> say, I don't want that. Don't enter the place with pity. Oh, what did this happen? Why did this happen? Didn't you detect it early? You'll be asking stupid questions. Stop doing digging things, you know, like digging. <laughs> when you have no, it's not going to lead anywhere. Ask questions that will help us. Now, you just want to make conversation. And when did this start? You didn't detect it early. You don't go for a regular checkup. Ah, that's the problem. <laughs> you know, people don't know things, eh? You know, when you know some things, my mother in law said something one day. He said, These doctors, they like to deceive us. That when they are sick, you see it, that they are not comfortable. But when they are talking to you, they will tell you to relax. He said, but they can't relax because they know the truth. Why am I saying this? There are times people say something, I just say you don't know anything. They didn't go for a checkup. If I, I will drop a term for you. Go and, go and Google what they call interval cancers. Interval. That is cancers that arise from between the last checkup and the next checkup. <laughs> and they do are the ones that kill. Oh, they kill rapidly. They did everything, they did mammography, they did everything, no problem. They say, okay, madam, you are okay. I will see you in another maybe one year. By the time they see the first look, eight months later, she's half dead. Ah. They go and re- retrieve all the former tests, you check it, clean, nothing. So this thing started from the last time till now. So they we coined a new name for it, interval cancers. So if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't check out, we'll keep you alive. Okay, that nonsense. Hey, they demand, I don't want Peleo. Don't be asking me, when did this start? When you, are, you don't have a, a, a way to decide when it will end. Demand, I don't want any interrogation. I don't want pity. Just take one of these tablets we have there, one of these infusions. When you get there, serve your own. How long did you say it took? Three months, the woman got well. In three months, the woman was fine. So that's what my brother was saying, that if you say they are believing God, let me know how you want to believe him. What are you going to be doing? <laughs> I had the story of one doctor. It was an interesting story. I think it was Isu that told me the story. When he saw the way treatment goes, he told everybody, enough, one day he fell sick. He went for a test, found out that he had cancer. So he just told everybody, he's a doctor in America, this U.S. doctor. Now he's not a Christian, all right? So what happened to him? I'm not saying that's a child, but just tell you that his attitude, because he has seen that there's no hope here. He said that nobody should treat him. So he will go to work. 
He kept on walking until he couldn't walk anymore. Then when he became bedridden, he said, no treatment. They kept him at home. And they couldn't keep him at home anymore. They brought him to the hospital and then he died in peace. He said, no, he prefers it like that. That nobody should cut him to pieces. He shouldn't give any drugs. Nothing. Because he has, from experience, he said his suffering is too much. It's not worth it. Just to scare you into the alternative. Maybe somebody's watching this. Somebody say, go and look for money, go to India. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, you know, sometimes people look for money for grasping at straws. See, if you can just get money, you go to America. Why do you think they still die in that country? I hope you know they have the largest number of COVID deaths. And not just because of population alone, even proportionally heavy. If there were spirits there, why were people still dying? My friend who's a physician says, when they send me a text, I lied to somebody today. I said, which kind of lie? He said, I have this particular patient that checks his x-ray. He said, he asked me, doctor, how is it? He said, I told him, fine. He said, it's not true. He's going to die. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. He said, it's not recovering. He used one funny word, you know. He said, look, he said, it looked like he gave me the word. That this guy is cancer. That. He said, but the guy is like, doctor, ah, I hope I'm getting better. He said, told the guy, yes. He's not sending me a message. I just lied to somebody. That guy is going to die. I don't know how to tell him that. You don't, young man, 30-something COVID. So you want to sell your father's land, sell everybody, to go and grasp at one extra straw. No. What I'm telling you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, the point I'm making is that run to Jesus. He heals. He does. Give him time. Say, so why would I take chance with my life? I've just proven to you that you're taking chance with it anyway. That's what I'm trying to, what do you think I'm trying to prove to you? You're already not in a game of chance. So who could take the chance with the one that, the, the one that, you know, this other people tell you we can't kill some things. This one says I can kill everything. So let's just take chance with the Google the real one. You know the Google the Can do everything. So what if I die? I died in the will of God. Those who went the other side, don't they die? One friend of mine, he called me. He said, hey, Banky, my mother is sick. She has cancer. I said, oh. And he said, an area that he knows very well. So he said, well, tested, I've done everything. They did the best test. I mean, sent the test samples abroad, got the best results. I said, what are you going to do? He said, nothing. You won't do anything? He said, no. There's no treatment. There's no cure. There's no need stressing her. So he has a, a sibling that stays abroad. That one said, okay. Send mommy over. So he did. Sent her over. With one instruction. I'm a specialist. Listen to me. Don't treat her at all. I don't want to hear you who went to hospital or treat her with anything. Just leave her alone. They might have gone to hospital anyway, but I had a discussion with doctors over, overseas. No treatment. So she stayed at home until she was very bad. Took her to hospital. Still some time more there. Then she died. Then one day he called me and said, hey, Banky, my mother has died. I said, oh, sorry. He said, no, it's all right. I knew she was going to die. Now, this point I'm making. He said, at least she lived longer than my patients who won't listen. He said, she lived longer. He said, because I was in control. This is my mom. I was in charge. So I could dictate what they would do. He said, I know this disease. There's no cure. He said, I know all the treatment they give. It worsens the situation for everybody. He said, my patients wouldn't listen. He said, they will go to India. Indians, we have to give them the drugs because they are paying for it. He said, they die quicker. He said, she lived longer than all my patients with the same condition, but who wouldn't listen to me? That's why I was going with the story. 
So you're already taking a chance with your life anyway. That's the point I'm making. Why am I talking about this today? <laughs> I think we have to minister to some people. But let me tell you about Jesus. He's a healer. His own medicine does not fail. It doesn't fail. It doesn't fail. It doesn't fail. I was talking about going to see him. I've been saying something again and again. There are times he will lie down there. He too, he operates. He operates. He does surgery. The first surgery recorded in the world, he did it. He administered the first anesthetic. Put Adam to sleep. Somebody said that was before pain came. No, 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 no. Pain has always been there. That's the reason why Adam, if Adam had put his hand in fire, you think it would have hurt him because there's no sin. It would have hurt him. He was protective. So to incise his body would have been painful. So the Lord just blew gas on his face. I saw Adam inhale. Woo, slept off. Went in there. Did. Oh, let me not spend too much time. You know why I went for his ribs? The rib is rich in marrow. That's what I think. Yeah, ribs. You know, in an adult, if that, there are few bones that really contain good marrow. Ribs, hip, vertebrae. You know, there are few bones. Called them flat bones. So went for one, removed it. He said, ah, he formed that into a woman. You know, God doesn't give all the details. He can't give you all the unwinding of chromosomes that he did. He wouldn't do that. He just went in there. Why did he go for rib? He had a lot of marrow. Why? What about marrow? That's why he have a rich supply of stem cells. So he took the ones he needed, removed one chromosome, doubled the other one, repackaged it, boom, and sped up, you know, the development process. While Adam was still asleep, the woman was ready. Now brought the woman to him. He knows surgery. That's what I'm going to make. He knows genetic engineering. He engineered the two genes to be different. Adam had 46 chromosomes. Uh, chromosomes. Eve has 46. But one was particularly different between the man and the woman. Who do you think did, did that? So if I'm going to do one small clone in this age, they say, hey, 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 they try. What did they try? To the Lord Jesus Christ, they have not even woken up. They are still sleeping. Rudimentary science. That's what we are practicing these days. What will take us, what will it take us 80, 100 years to develop? He does it in one second. Just blink like this, it is ready. And if you study the way things have been going, you will see what I'm saying makes a lot of sense. The example I used to give those days, when we started doing them, <laughs> when we started converting our, digi- our tapes to digital format, the computer we used was, you know, was it even a Pentium? Or one of those ones before Pentium? Okay, it was Pentium. I think it was Pentium, not Pentium 2. You know, those kind of computers that have RAM, chooks, of like 32. <laughs> 32 MB RAM. I can't even remember. The point is that we'll record with that laptop. It was a laptop. We'll feed it with our cable, record with it. 45 minutes recording. When you finish recording, to save. Saving was 25 minutes. Saving was 25 minutes. No, it's something we timed. So it was my younger brother, the Gianna, that used to do it. We would put the tape on the cassette, we'd play. You know, you have to turn it over. Uh-huh. So we'll do it side by side. One side, 45 minutes. To save was 25 minutes. This guy is laughing. Okay, see, uh, Tor Reverend. That's laughing. Now, 
Two hours recording. This, now, for information, the same program. There's a reason why we're using the same app till today, since then. There's a particular account, they are in like generation six or seven. We're still using that first generation because there are certain features that they've messed up in the other ones. We're using it till today. God, good enough, God has allowed it to keep on working in the different editions of Windows that we've been using. We're using Windows 98, we are using Windows XP, we are using Windows 7, now Windows 10, good enough. It's still working. We just do some bad compatibility issues and it works. With the same when you click save now, <laughs> if it's two hours, save maybe like how many seconds? Just like 15 seconds. Two hours will save like 15 seconds. You know why? It's a core i7. Around 16 gigabytes. Do you, some people say, what does that mean? If I ask for those who know. Now, you see what I'm going to say? Those is, that old computer, and then some of those is like, now if I'm saving like a 10 minute recording, you don't even see the progress bar. As soon as you click, it's gone. So Moses will see it and say, let there be light. And there was light. Why? He didn't see the progress bar. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because when God is doing his thing, it's so powerful and so fast. So Moses will say, he said, let there be light. And the next thing, Moses sees light. And there was light. <laughs> and then let the waters above be separated from the waters beneath. And let there be a firmament between them. And it was so. If they were able to slow it down, if human beings are supposed to do it, that's two trillion years. Because we're using Pentium nothing. Now, you get what I'm going to explain. That's why God works miracles. Doctors will do seven-stage surgery on an issue. Just with touch. <laughs> it's the same thing they are doing. One fellow is just better and faster. If you're able to slow, and you know, if the Lord, you know what the Lord does sometimes? It slows down some things for us to see. When we have seen those slow versions, we go to the lab and copy, and we get a Nobel Prize for copycats. <laughs> and they'll be giving you microphone to speak everywhere. When we began this study some years ago, <laughs> the angels are laughing. We didn't begin in this study. I was the one they sent to slow it down for you. See that one that happened between Jacob and um, Laban? The angel said, we were the ones they sent. We just took the word of God. Bam! The whole process. In one instant, they will tell you it's part, one particular chromosome on the sheep chromosome, in the, the sheep genome, chromosome 8. This particular locus on the long arm. We twisted it. All the eggs that female goat was going to produce. We don't touch them. How do you guys do it? The Lord just gave us the word. He said, what is the word? The word is the encapsulation of his scientific process. So as we touch each goat, zoom into their eggs, everything has been changed. They mated. Black ones were giving birth to speckled ones. The one will not show you small. It will take you 18 years of development, three generations of scientists, professor to PhD holder to student, they do, 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 do. They will now do one small fragment. They now call press conference on their discovery. After three years, they give them Nobel Prize. They just say, if they share Nobel Prize, reach our side there. <laughs> no hope for you guys down there. <laughs> what am I going to say? There's nothing human beings do 
That's not a product of what God has shown them from what he was doing. Just gave them a small bit and stretched it out, made it very slow so they could observe. So there's no point having faith in mankind and not having faith in the Lord. And there's nothing human beings have done that he can't do much more. There's no, you know, the other day I was saying something. You know, when God wants, I said, look, some of you women here, you will, you, you, you will give birth when you are 55. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean, when I say here, you are hearing me online. You are, some people will deliver at the age of 59. They will look, and they will blame me. Pastor Banky, why did you preach that message that day? You know what I'm saying, so? It's in the scriptures. They will be fruitful in old age. I was just saying this in my office that the one lady just told me, he said, oh God, when I was in Meduguri, it happened. That there was a particular woman that used to sell them food. So the woman was, I think she said she was 60 years old. That it was when she delivered, she knew she was pregnant. I said, ah, wait a that's woman, that's one day she just, they just came to her shop, was not, what is going on? She was feeling ill. Her stomach was paining her, so they rushed her to hospital. It was when everybody said, baby's head coming out. I said, what? He said, the woman was 60. Six. So, so many of you have heard me, you are in good trouble. Embarrassment is your portion in that area. No, there's a kind of blessing God gives you, you're embarrassed. Like that, my guy in Abuja that I told you about. said, how come I've not seen my sister all this while? And the man called, called, called Reverend. He called the Reverend to say, Reverend, please. Your sister is like Elizabeth. She's hiding herself. Why? What did happen? Sister is pregnant. Ah! She doesn't want anybody to know too. Because her children are the ones being pregnant currently. Imagine grandmother. See your bikini, two of you, the antenatal care. <laughs> Even the doctor gets confused. <laughs> Say, do you escort your daughter? Say, when she goes out, we'll talk. <laughs> Say, yeah, that, you can go. Go and wait outside. Doc, I beg. Don't tell her. I need to be like, in her fifth month with this. Doc, madam. It's Pastor Bank. He called him. He's the one that prophesied. <laughs> the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Oh, I just feel like pumping that thing stronger. Jesus is alive. He's a very capable physician. With him, nothing is impossible. All we need to do is just go to him. Just go to him. That's what I'm saying. People think that going to Jesus means that, I, and that faith means that I'm very, very sure. No, no, you don't have to be very, very sure. Abraham was not sure until they told him to. Do you get my point? Yeah, until God came finally. Abraham, you know what? You know. We've taught faith in a wrong way. Most of the faith we have taught is stubbornness. I know what I want. God must do it the way I say he should do it. Hallelujah. The more stubborn we are, the more people think we have faith. Some of the people who think have a lot of faith, they are nothing but stubborn. They've been stubborn since they were young. Even their father, this guy, he won't listen. Even Heavenly Father is tired. So Heavenly Father does some things for him out of, I can't, you know, the Bible says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. They are telling God doesn't want to fight. He said, oh, look, 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 what do they want? Meat. Give them meat. <laughs> the fact that you got everything you want doesn't mean that you are walking by faith. You may be walking by, you know, hard, you know, stubbornness, hard-heartedness. If God doesn't give it to me, he won't go. 
You've locked God down, God. And when the thing finally happens, say, praise God. Brethren, I just told the Lord. That is, and you are feeling like a spiritual G. And then when pastors hear your testimony, they give you a microphone everywhere. Your ministry will increase. Praise God. You can have it now. You can have it now. What is faith? Now. Now. And God is looking, says, stubborn children. They won't listen. What am I saying? What is it? Let me tell you what real faith is. Let me tell you what real faith is. Real faith, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for faith and faithfulness, they are the same thing. Somebody that really has faith is faithful. Abraham, depart from your father's house. Come to a land that will show you. Whether he doubted or not, he was following. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That what we call doubt, oh, I'm not talking about um, um, that um, you know, doubt is good. I'm saying what we call doubt. The, possibly I'm mourning to wake up and say, what am I doing here? Because the Lord's presence is not felt all the time. There are mornings he will just wake up. What am I doing here? I sold that company. Am I all right? I packed everything. Took my wife. And Lord said he will follow. He. But one thing you will never find out is that he turned back. That is faith. Faith is not just her. Look, you know Job had faith, you know that? Uh, yes, Job had faith. By faith, everything that happened to him happened. Go and read the discourse of Job. He, he, ah, the guy talked all kinds of nonsense. You can't be in that kind of. The man said, "I, I must say something." He said, "What do you say? Curse God and die." He said, "I can't curse God, so curse now." He said, "I will curse the day I was born." He said, "Curse be that day that they said the woman gave birth and his son had been born." He ah, he spoke bad things, so. but at the end of the day. He said, even though he slays me. That was faith. Some of us said, no, faith means that he can never slay me. No, that's not faith. <laughs> that's not faith. That's stubbornness. That's wanting to have your way. What is real faith? None of these things move me. Neither do I count my life as dear unto myself. That is real faith. Faith is faithfulness. People are not faithful. They want to get receive. That car, I called it to be. I, got, I began to declare as I was declaring the first tire dropped. I declared the shaft joint. That's how I declared on the car is complete. Now that kind of car, they keep us. You see, the Bible like that now. Then you won't let everyone rest. What am I going to say? You know, real faith is faithfulness. That whether I have doubts, supposedly in my heart or not, I will never stop obeying the will of God. I hope you are getting my point. So, what's the country going to be like tomorrow? It does, no, before I used to think that you, are, you know, no, you don't know. <laughs> Say, nah, this is where we are supposed to be now. Let's be doing what he said we should be doing. Don't ever make a decision. Real doubt is when you start making decisions based on your fears. That's what real doubt is. Faith is not how I feel. I just feel, I just, oh my God. There are times. In fact, I like the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said it. He said, it is not, you know, I've had, I had arguments with some, some people some, uh, some time ago. Long, not today, I'm talking about around 1990. Okay, so I'm not talking about yesterday. That Shadrach, 
Meshach and Abednego knew God would deliver them. I said, so, no, it's not true. They kept on trying to show me scriptures. That the Bible, that they said that even if he will not, that if he will not, even if he does not, means that if the king does not burn us the way he says, we still would. I said, look, does that make sense to you, please? They said our God is able to deliver us. Now, what he said is that we will not be careful to answer you, O king. All right? He said that our God is able to deliver us. They now said that even if he does not, they said that, no, what he said that, if not, literally, literally, the Hebrews say, if not, you understand, we will not bow. So they said that if not means that even if you don't put us in the fiery furnace, most Bibles will supply the italics to fill it in that even if it does not. They said, no, that it does not is not what they said. What they said is, if not, even if you don't cast out into the fiery furnace. I said, so what's the point? They are saying that they knew that God would deliver them and they believed God for deliverance. Uh, which Bible do you read? Faith is faithfulness. They were faithful to God. They said our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't bother to deliver us, we still will serve him. We will die serving him. That was faith. It wasn't like God. As we are stepping into this fairy furnace, it's turning to water. Oh, right now. Shedrach, what do you say? Water. Meshach, what do you say? Water. Everybody call water. Ooh, oh, we cool. We are cool. This fire is not burning us. We are cool. Our bodies cool. We smoke. No, we think that's what faith is. That's not what faith is. Faith is, uh, no, you know, really. <laughs> that's why faith was so difficult for many of us. Because we felt that there must be no doubt in the way we call doubt. Oh, the way we call doubt. The way we call doubt. There must be no doubt. There must be no doubt. That's not what faith is. Faith is if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to see the king. On behalf of my people, I'm going to see the king. And if I perish, let me perish. That is faith. You know why? Because the real word is faithfulness. And that is why, let me say it again, it's a personal campaign. And uh, Apostle Kimita has joined me, actually. So it's two of us on that campaign. This nonsense vows faith people try to take in marriage is a stupid vow. For better, for worse, is a statement of faithfulness. That's real faith. For richer, for poorer, is a statement of faithfulness. That's real faith. In sickness and in health, is a statement of faithfulness. That's real faith. He said, I will never be sick. Jesus Christ, when they beat you and you're on the cross, what do you think that is? Health? Even Jesus Christ felt it. He said, no sickness in my body, they will persecute you. They will flog you. When your, your back is broken, what is that? You think that is health? He said, no, that's persecution. But you are sick. Your body needs healing. Let's even assume your liver does not fail. That's the point I'm making. When you have not eaten for two days and your stomach hurts, it's called gastritis. You think that is health? The vow says, even at such times, I will be there with you and I won't let you go. Real that's why no Pentecostal can come. I've seen stupid vows. From today, we shall be one. It is not by declaring we shall be one. Say to the fellow, I will never leave you. That's when you are one. Not the one that... <laughs> there's one view there. Was one girl, he said, for richer, for poorer. He said, for richer, for richer. He says, he shows you, but this isn't a joke. He said, now from clap, clap they take enter dance. You don't they talk that nonsense now. It's true. He said, for richer, for richer. If I'm the officiating minister, I say, stop first. For richer, for poorer. Say, for richer, for richer. Pastor, I'm declaring by faith. As God lives. 
I'm going to call Pastor Okemote. Are you interested in continuing this marriage, Bible? Because me, I'm going. I will not participate in joining two people who are not planning to be faithful. They are planning to be, to look out for what God is doing financially. He said, no, we are calling faith. No, you are not calling anything. You are covetous. This world is your home. You mind earthly things. That's what your problem is. You mind earthly things. That's why you say that kind of thing. For richer, why do you quote Paul all the time? Did he not say as poor, yet making many rich? Are you denying apostleship? So God must never call into the ministry of an apostle? <laughs> Let me see if I was about to go in another tangent. Faith is faithfulness. The Abraham believed why he continually obeyed what God told him. That's what I'm going to make. He continually obeyed. Don't think every morning he woke up and he was so sure everything is going to be all right. No. What made him faith, a man of faith was that he continually obeyed what the Lord told him. Leave your father's house, he never went back. Even when Isaac needed to get a wife, he pulled Eliezer's ear. Don't take my wife back for any reason. Never forgot that instruction. For your information, every child of God will have a particular instruction they are obeying at a particular time in their lives. Yes. And obedience to that core instruction will drag you into obedience into many peripheral instructions. But there's one core instruction that will help you see the wisdom of God in many other decisions around you need to make. I'll give myself as an example. One thing just always guided me. I'm going to teach. You know, you know, you, you, know, you get some kind of anointing. Day your body, I always felt like busting, rupturing. So all my life, making decisions was not hard because I had to give room to that expression. So I used to say, I remember once, you know those days when I did residency? <laughs> Let me not start and describe what they call poverty. You know, there are times where everybody's, everybody around is just poor. All the doctors there, they are suffering. Everybody. That's when I did my residency. So naturally, we just wanted to finish residency and get out and go and get money. And I remember I visited some friends one day, and I mentioned the fact that... Now, I forgot to mention to you, doctors were poor. University lecturers were poorer. They were all poor, everybody. And I opened my mind that I'm going to apply for a job in the university. And I remember some people, they looked at each other like this. Like, what? This guy all right? I was all right. Why was I going to do that? Two reasons. Number one, I found that I was very good at teaching. And number two, I realized that if I did that, I could do my ministry too. I didn't praise the God. Oh, well, they didn't employ me that time. They didn't. Okay? That was when the last suit just started. Probably when they opened their college of medicine. So we were the first set of people that went for their interview. And the VC told me then that, it just, it just meant that, look, finish your program and come back and see me. So I, I never went back. By the time I finished, I came to Enobu. Okay? So he, just, he told me at the interview that, no, that I'm coming too early, that I should just finish the program and then come back and see. But when I was having this conversation, you went to university to go and apply for work. I've not seen how poor the university lecturers are. But I felt like, I don't know, that was just my gift. That was my core instruction. When I came to Enugu, I didn't think, God, when do we start ministry? I told my wife before that wherever we are going is where we are starting. So as soon as we arrived in Enugu, ministry start. As soon as we arrived, as we put our feet in Enugu, started writing my tracts, started printing tracts, started sharing tracts, 
literally going from bookshop to bookshop. I didn't need any spirit to tell me. First year, I came one of my, you know, if you, if, this is second or third year, those early days. So, of course, yeah, it should be like about the fourth year because we came in 2003, Kingdom was started meeting physically. Before, we just tracks and stuff like that we're doing. We did one or two programs, one in our home, one in a hotel, which is when I told you that on the last day, the whole of Enugu conspired not to come. We're only three at the program. If I were two, because I don't think you should count my wife. Because the two shall become what? One. So my wife and I are one. <laughs> and my friend. And if you say, okay, don't count the pastor because he's the one who organized the program, there was only one person. My wife and I have been the one. Then that, my friend, was the only person. So we did that. Then afterwards, we now, when we started teaching, on the, when we rented the first place we rented, it was not because the Lord said to us, go and rent a space. Maybe he did. But why we did it was calculating money. So I checked how much we spent for that program. And I checked how much a hall, about that size, a small hall, all right, could be if you just rented the, rented the building, you know, the office building, and then convert it to a hall. When I checked it, it made more sense to just rent the, the building and call it your own. Because by the time you pay for a hall like twice, three times, you've paid rent for a year. Ah. So I had to just go rent the place and bought 20 chairs. I remember we bought it from Albertina. 20 chairs. Israel, I don't think we should trade with all those chairs. We should, we should, we should soak one in a preservative. <laughs> in a museum, thank you. We bought 20, made a small pulpit. And so instead of organizing programs like that that will cost money and nobody will come, let me, <laughs> let me start. Te- now, what I'm telling the story is that. So shortly after, two different people, two of my colleagues in the university came and said, look, you're a young man, you're this, you're that, you know, there's this program. One said there's this particular program you can go for. You go for. So I was looking at him as he was explaining. The first one, let me go with the other fellow first. So you go for two training. I said, how long? He said, three months. I said, three months? What I was thinking of? The hall we just rented. <laughs> now, number of people coming, I'm not exaggerating. If you count my wife, my brother used to be with us a lot of times. And me, three family people, okay? Sometimes not my brother, maybe it's another person, but family. From our family, will be three. If you count those three people and count all the other, we're not up to ten. This one that was not ready to abandon, we're not up to ten. One day, you know, there was one picture I shared one time. When Pastor Murphy saw his eye laughing, he said, this is very encouraging. <laughs> I can't even find the picture again. I stumbled into it one day. So I, just, I said, that was king. No, we're not up to ten. That you count me, you count my wife, you count my brother that came with us. All of us were not up to 10. So those are 20 chairs. They were, most of it were just there. Eventually they filled up one day. But that's the time somebody said, I said, go away. Three months, I couldn't imagine three months without my 10 congregation. Do you get my point? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No. When that person came, his own was an offer that would take like one year. I would go abroad for one year. I had nothing against going abroad for a year. I just could not leave the teaching I was teaching. No, I just couldn't because I felt that the primary reason I came to town is this. That's how I felt. I'm going to explain something here. That each time in life, there's a primary commandment you are obeying. Every other thing is small and peripheral. Yes, you will obey them too. Okay? Many times Christians are looking for all kinds of principles for this, for that, for that. 
when you are looking for too many principles, they will, they, you're going to get confused. Each time in your life, there is something. There are times that there are people that they are listening to me right now. There's one word, just one, which if they disobey, they are not going to make any spiritual progress. God just said, you will find a way to reconcile with your father. That father has been battling for six months. I, you think it's a joke? It's a serious battle. You say, well, how battle? Because anytime instructions come, the guy will go away from church for the next one month. Because this pastor is the one taking away his peace. When he doesn't come to the presence of God, are you getting my point? He's at peace. But every time he's, you know, something he says, no, no, I'm supposed to be a believer, I'm going to join. He goes back. Then that, sometimes the pastor is talking to him. Sometimes he's not even talking. He's just preaching. He's preaching. His Holy Spirit that now comes to this guy's heart. And say, hey, that's what we're talking about. You and your father. How far? He run away again. Six months like that. And this is the interesting part. That individual is not going to make any spiritual progress. Until that instruction from that moment is obeyed. I'm talking about what real faith is. Real faith is faithfulness. Obeying the instruction from the mo- for the moment. It wasn't as if Abraham like, ah, mm, Isaac shall come. Go and read your Bible. There was no time that Abraham spoke like that. God had to continue to remind him. He will say something. God said, wait, come. In Isaac will your seed be called. What do you give me since that I go childless? Who said you're going to go childless? Then God is the one that will remind him again. Because, okay, let's do something like this. I will change your name so that you will remember to cooperate with me, to call yourself by a new name, a father of many nations. The way we focus on our desires, Abraham did not. Abraham didn't. Go and check it out. He didn't. It was God that would come and say, yeah, call yourself this name. Okay, if that's the way you like it. But one thing he didn't do was disobey any instruction for the moment. If he did, there are times, you know, he made a mistake. He will recover. He denied his wife. He recovered. God warned him, don't do that again. Okay, he will recover again. He, did, he was not supposed to take Lot. You know the story? Lot was part of his father's house. So one day, he had to separate from Lot. He did not say, you know, Lot is my brother. Lot is my brother. No. He said, Lot, this fight cannot continue. So what we are going to do is that you are going to choose our good your other way. In the, you see, I'm going to bring out something here. Abraham was not into, I claim it. I claim this thing. God gave him more than he ever asked. God gave him more than he ever bargained for. But sometimes, some things he may have desired, the Lord didn't address. Maybe he wanted to live in a beautiful house. The time he had in her before he left. And God said, no, you are going to stay in tents. Oh, you, you think it's everything he wanted God gave? No, I don't believe so. There's nothing to be desired staying in tents. He would rather have settled down, built up the house the way they were in, or where he came from. But God said, no, that's not the part of the agenda. You stay in tents, why? You will have to move. But God gave him much more than he ever bargained. I like the story of the reference in that area. You know, I keep on quoting that thing. By the time I was telling the story, half of the globe was listening to him on a daily basis. His messages were being heard in over a dozen different languages, in at least three Chinese dialects. Yes, at the age of 40, he had no house, no money, no bank account, and most importantly, no plans.
So listen, God gives us things that we did not bargain for. Things we did not plan for. Faith is not that I can claim just what I want. The real meaning of faith is what? Faithfulness. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to the instruction for the moment. That is real faith. If God says, stay here, stay there. Sometimes a place that's not nice, he says, yes, it's time for slapping of your face. Jeremiah said, let him keep it there. Paradventure, God will show mercy. That was when he said, it is good for a young man to bear his burden in the days of his youth. Before you get up and resign the job, be careful. <laughs> Let's sit down here for a few moment. We keep on helping people. Before you get up and resign a job, what did I say? Be careful. In fact, if you are angry, don't resign. The best time to resign is when you are happy. When everybody is annoying you, it's not the right time. Relax. Reconcile with people. Don't be in a hurry to walk out. Especially when you think it's too difficult. That is the one you must stay. If you leave because it's too easy, that one's even okay. The one that's too difficult is the one I think you should stay in until God says, leave. You know, some people, <laughs> some young men are very funny. They, they don't have another job. They will resign that this job is too difficult. You now go home and sit down. Which one is more difficult, sitting at home or doing a difficult job? I think it's the real, spiritually speaking, the more difficult one, really, is that sitting at home doing nothing. My counsel to people is I just go and stay in that place. You know why? I read it from Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, if they put your face, your cheek, where they will be slapping it. He said, keep it there. The more they slap, the more God will show you mercy. That is the closer you are to the day of mercy. If nobody is slapping you, nobody will show you mercy. What is the reason? Because the trial of your faith is working out something you need for another level. Listen. Faith is faithfulness. Faith is not stubborn desires. That's the kind of cry I want. God gives it to me, otherwise it will storm the gates of heaven. Answers. <laughs> That's not faith. That is faithfulness. You can't be stubborn about your desires. You're not allowed to do that. You can only be stubborn in quote, in quote now, about obedience. Yes. You can be like Abraham. He said, I should leave my father's house. Leave my father's land. Into a land he will show me. But he hasn't shown you anything, but he said, I should leave that one. That one was clear. Where we are going is not clear. So let's leave that one. Let's just stay outside. Even if we have nowhere else to go, let's stay outside. Why? He said we should leave. That is the real stubbornness you should demonstrate. The Lord is good. Let's get into this message. Deuteronomy chapter 32. You say, did I not tell you to open Deuteronomy chapter 32? And you have not read it. What do you think? You think I forgot I wanted to preach? I'm just telling you what faith is. You know, when we are preaching like this, my experience is that God is talking to people. So that's why I just let it flow until we are done with that. And each person has taken his or her own instructions. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 32. We've been talking about that faith. Okay, that's why I went to that. Let me not start again. <laughs> so, let's recognize, like I've been saying, let's learn spiritual truths, and that's what we've been doing. I've been explaining for some time concerning what God 
really is doing in us, the new creation. Why is there a new creation? I said to us before that when he said that, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion, we assume that Adam fulfilled that. Adam did not. The fall of Adam was not surprising to God because what God wanted to do, you understand, could not be accomplished in Adam the way he was. It's not possible. Even though God was the one that created him, you must understand that where God was really going, even though God created you, he still needs you to come with him to that place. And that coming with him must be voluntary. Are you getting my point? That coming with him must be voluntary for it to have the effect that he really desires. So he says to um, Jeremiah, before you were formed, I knew you. I consecrated it to be a prophet. Paul said the same thing. God, you knew me from my mother's womb and appointed me to be an apostle. And that's not just for them, for those two. Jesus said it clearly. Will I say, Father, deliver me from this hour, for this cause I came to this hour. If you go and read them, that's Psalm 139. He made it very clear. The days of our lives, before there was any one of them, was written in his books. All right? So this applies to everybody. We've seen Jeremiah. We've seen Jesus Christ. We've seen Paul. We've seen David talk to prophesy about it. Yet, he turned to Isaiah. So we can say for sure that Isaiah was called to be a prophet. We can say for sure that Isaiah was known in, from his mother's womb. He was consecrated. Yet, Isaiah heard him say, who shall I send who will go for us? I hope you're getting my point. Isaiah had to volunteer. He had to volunteer. Even though he had been called, he had to volunteer. There's a principle there. Obedience is not complete until it is free will. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. Obedience is not, it cannot be complete except it is free will. If it's just compelled, it's not obedience. There's no love of God in that obedience. The fact that it is free will. Let me just quickly explain something. I'm digressing, okay? I'll get back to what I'm trying to say. I know I was talking about Adam, how it was not complete, how what God wanted to do could not have been complete in Adam the way he was. That's why, let me talk to women briefly. This is not our message, but we have to keep educating people. I said something last time, let me say it again. You know feminism is of Satan. I want women to say amen. If you have not yet said amen, say it. Amen. I will compel you to say the amen. I will be fully later. Right now, say amen for me. Amen. God bless you. You know why feminism is of Satan? It's like eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what feminism says? Hold on to your rights. Stand up. Do. Collect it. You are as good as anybody. That is how you will never be blessed. Real blessing is in taking your life and laying it down. You know what we don't realize? They want to prove to you that what a man can do, a woman can do, we know, is in the Bible. What makes you different as a Christian, a child of God, is that you take what you can do and you lay it down. I hope you're getting my point. What feminism teaches is don't lay down. Don't lay down. That is why I read your scriptures. The man was never commanded to subdue his wife, even though we try. To do it. It's not what God said. Did you hear what I said? Yes, if your wife doesn't do what you are saying, you will, deliberate, you will deliberate not cooperate with some things. That's called subdue thy wife. <laughs> That's not the word of God. The word of God says what? Love. You know why he says love? Okay, no, let me not talk about why he says love. Let me tell you why he says submit. Submission is voluntary. Woe betide a man who did not marry a woman that can submit. Your life will be miserable. 
If you want to torture a man, just find him a wife that does not submit. The guy will go mental. Let me tell you how it is. I'll tell you how when a woman does not submit. Let me tell you how it is. If you are driving, somebody else is pulling the handbrake. <laughs> well, I'm not saying she's not a good driver. But I'm the one driving. The car has one steering. Do you get my point? Yet, next thing you know, the handbrake is not under your control. You pull the handbrake at a time, somebody releases it. Somebody is struggling. Have you ever driven in a car with a driver who does not know how to be driven? Did you hear what I said? As a driver, you have to learn how to be driven. You are, you are pressing the brake on this side. No, really, if, listen, the, if you are constantly driving, the first day somebody has tried to drive you, it's cra- you will go crazy. So what I tell people, like, just go and sit at the back. I've had it before. A friend of mine is Lagos does this. When this guy is driving, this guy will be speeding anyhow. Then, okay, we went, we went to go somewhere. I had the car with me that time. My auntie's car. So it's okay, all of us can't go in the same, in different cars. So you leave your car here, we'll go in my car. Okay. As soon as I hit Kurudu Express. I said, I shouted, Banky, 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 no, just look at, ah. What is it? When we got to where we're going to come back, I said, no, sit at the back. You are not sitting in front. Only me will drive this car. You go and sit behind. It is frustrating for you to drive a driver that does not know how to be driven. He will match the brake for you. And believe me, a time will come he will hold your steering to. <laughs> I know what happened. Both of you are going up the bridge. So it is with when a woman does not submit in the house. We know she's a good driver. No, you know, that's what women don't understand. They think you are telling them that you are not a good driver. And that's what they think, that you are telling them they are not good drivers. We know you are a good driver. You are as much a child of God as Okimute is, we know. Eh? We know there's not a Chubikem knows that if he does not know. We know. Are we arguing? So for that reason, we should not go and buy you a car that has two stairs. <laughs> Is that what we're not going to do? We're not going to do that. We're going to get you one car, and then we're going to say, bros, you are the driver. And then you will learn to cross your leg. You know, my wife doesn't hit brake with me, but she always carries a leg like this. I say. <laughs> because, really, I do some... I think I've been doing it for a very long time. Most of the time, if I carry... Remember one of my aunties, they carry her in front. She said, ah, that I was close to that gutter. I said, Auntie Shevi, we did not enter it. He said, but that is close. That was close. I said, well, it's close when you know how to do it. So leave it. I was like, what is your problem? I mean, you did Lagos. I didn't go close to Gotha. How will you get to where you are going? And I'm not bragging. I know how to sometimes ride the edge, you know? You, you look everywhere is tight. You ride the edge like this. That's half of your tire. Yes, you know. Look. <laughs> it's called sabiness. You get my point? <laughs> One day I was driving, I was driving my, my auntie in Lagos. We got to a particular place. I still remember this S class, you know, this long stretch ones, the one they call Shagari style those days. Two ATS was coming. We got to that, I got to that small culvert. He was turning right onto that small culvert. I was coming back, turning left, and we just got to that culvert. So the man stopped. Long car, me, I had one small Corolla that was driving my auntie's car. He was sitting beside me. So I looked, so my auntie said, move back. I said, not necessary. I, I, I went into the culvert. 
navigated the right, and then took a sharp left and just wrapped myself around the man and told the man to go. The man got there, one and said, young man, that was good driving. I said, thank you, sir. <laughs> the man was so impressed. You see, some of us have this geometric... <laughs> you know, the Lord is good. <laughs> so when I'm driving my wife anytime, say... Remember, I'm just going like this. I just, you know, for me, in a sense, she just jump. She's trying to run away from me. I assume I'm jamming that. She says, well, relax. I'm not jamming. I saw it. Yeah, you were close. Yes, it's called Sabines. I mean, Lord, please, I'm not trying to be proud. Let me not go and jam somebody. <laughs> but why you do too much Sabines? One angel said, is it like that? Drive by yourself this time. <laughs> A lot is good. So this is the point. The principle of submission, in fact, you cannot, be, you cannot be said to be truly submissive until you have power. I don't know whether I get my point. It's like somebody carries a gun and they say, move. You say, I'm submitting to him. You're not submitting to him. <laughs> he has a gun aimed at you. He has cocked it. It's not submission to him. You have obeyed instructions of a man that has power of life and death in, you know, in that circumstance. But when somebody who has no power, that you have as much power as he has, maybe, okay, for example, you get to the clinic. The doctor says, climb on the couch. You get up, you climb. Remove your shirt. Come on, for goodness sake, you are 50 years old. This boy is 25. And you remove your shirt. Say your singlet too. You remove your singlet. You know, you can refuse to remove your singlet. You understand? He now says, bend forward. You lean forward. They say, breathe. You breathe. Don't breathe. You don't breathe. He's examining your back. Lie down. Do this. That's what they call submission because you can say no. You can, yeah, you can say no. Say, Doc, I don't want. If you cannot examine me with my shirt on, leave it. And the man said, What did you say? I'm your father's age mate. How can you be telling me to remove my shirt? I am not. You know, some men like that stop on it. You'll be surprised. Oh, they've seen it on television that one doctor examined with his shirt and say, why are you not doing it? He that's not how we we'll do it in Nigeria. Remove your shirt. That's what they call submission. That you can say no, but you said yes. And that's what I teach women understand. Nobody is saying you are inferior. It is because you are so powerful. It's because you are taken from his side, not from his foot. It's because you are taken from his side. You know, those kind of doctors, they preach apostles at weddings that cause confusion in the family. They never start to marry. Your pastor don't confuse them. <laughs> We know you were taken from this side, which makes you an equal. That is why you are a candidate for submission. If you are taken from his foot, if you are a slave, you obey, you don't submit. And what I've told you, go and check it, obey your parents in the Lord. They never told children, submit to your parents in the Lord. Where did you sit down? The reason why they say wives submit is because a wife can say no. But if children can't say no, let victory say no, he will see the shape of his head after. <laughs> So that's why he is commanded, oh boy, for your own good, obey your parents in the Lord. Do they have the key, no? They have the school fees, oh. They have the key to your room, oh. They can remove the PS4. Think about it. I've told almost all my children, put your tab down here. You're not touching this tab. In fact, my wife is very good with that. Submit your tab. Why? Well, they didn't do their homework. But I can't remember telling my wife, submit your phone. But she has seized. The oldest sees I can lose phone. Give me the phone. 
But mommy, what I'm aiming to me, you collect it, drop it there. And he dares not go back to touch it. I took Benga's tab for like three straight months. He couldn't touch it. Then one day he came, Daddy, please, I want to talk to you about something. He knew where it was. If I said, help me guess, you will see it there. I can imagine his soul longing for it. <laughs> Why? It is obey your parents in the Lord. But they said women do what? Submit. What does that mean? It recognizes that you are joined heads with Christ. It recognizes that you are both adults. It recognizes that you cannot be ordered around. It recognizes all of this. So you now take, just like Jesus, even though he had equality with God, he did not take that as something to be grasped and held onto. But, you know, he laid that. That's the point. Feminists say, no, you are equal. We know. Don't lay it down, Satan. Are you getting my principle? Bear it in mind. Because sometimes when people don't understand these things, they think you are saying something you did not say. And just by the way, preachers, when you want to teach, teach it properly. The re- what causes confusion a lot of times is that they teach obedience to women, to wives. You teach obedience to children. The principle of obedience and the principle of submission, they are two totally different principles. And those who keep on complaining, they've not understood it. One woman I read her story, not a, maybe she's a Christian, but the magazine, BBC did not, all right, they did not present her as a Christian. She called herself the surrendered wife. And she was explaining how she discovered joy in her house. She had been married before, the first marriage failed. Now she's married a second time, and she was seeing the trend starting. And it was going the way of the first one. And she panicked like, no. Then she got hold of a particular book where a woman taught this principle. And you see this, you know, who was I talking to? Okay, I was talking with, with somebody that day, who was it? Okay, I think it was Gabriel. That it was just reminding me of some things that uh, we used to say, those, that if you live long, long enough, you will discover the word of God. The matter of fact is that if you live long enough in this life, you will find out that God is correct. Even if he doesn't, if you never read the structure, you will discover in life that that's how it is right to do. This woman didn't say, she did not quote one scripture, did not refer to anything Christian, but she said she noticed something. After reading that book, she had to put some things inside them into practice. For example, her husband would say, her husband was used to her heady way. So they want to go somewhere. Her husband would say, okay, where are we going? By the time your husband is asking you to make the decisions, there's a problem. So you now tell to the man and say, it's up to you, whatever you say. Ah, the first time she, she, he said it, the man looked like, let me remove the mask on your face. Maybe it's not my wife. Ah, the man was wondering, what is going on? Next time she said, he said something like that, and the, man, the woman said, oh, I was waiting, waiting for you to decide about that. Ah, the man was looking like, what is going on here? She now said something. He said, next thing she knew, he said their marriage had become cold. They lived in the same house, but hi, 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 hi. How you doing? How you doing? The next thing she knew that was that they would be there watching TV. The man would reach and grab her hand. Nothing, just hold the hand and be watching TV. And he knows, ah, what is going on? The next thing, you know, she, she realized that his love for her was warming up all over again. So she wrote that article. You can Google it up. The Surrounded Wife on BBC. So I'm not talking about a Christian channel. She discovered the word of God. As I said, people, listen, teach it well. Teach it well. That is preachers. Don't teach obedience. Teach submission. You know what submission means? It's voluntary. 
Nobody's compelling you. God is saying, this is how you're supposed to do it. So when you step in there, like I was saying, <laughs> you want to punish a man, just go and get her Jezebel. When you give, find a man Jezebel, he'll become Ahab. Their lives will not be the same again. The man will die of madness. The Lord is good. Let's get back to our message. So what I was trying, what I was trying to say, all right? Remember I told you that I know where I was. You know, say this main person they lost for preaching. God has cured me of it. <laughs> I have an anointing to find where I was. Amen? Amen. Who knows where we were? <laughs> I want to see who knows it. Because me, I know it too. I'm testing you. What happened to Adam? And it was not possible the way he was. Uh, okay, you are following. Some people are hiding behind you. They, they, they forgot. <laughs> so, the point I was making, which is why I went into that um, wife and husband matter, is that when God made the man, he had to make him innocent, but able to say yes or no. If he couldn't say no, it would not have been, submission, like I've said now, would not have been possible. True love for God would not have been possible. God made him so that he could say no. But where God was taking him to, he had to say yes. I hope you're getting my point. You now say, okay, ah, but that made it compulsory. No, you can stay where you are. But if you want to climb to another level, no, think about it for a moment. Why was there a tree of life in the garden if Adam already had life? I hope you're getting my point. That was the point I was making last time. That Adam was not the fulfillment of that word. When he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Adam was stage one. And I explained something. That the fact that God said something is good does not mean it is perfect. Yes, never make that. If you are reading scriptures, never forget that. He said the man was very good, yet he came on and said it's not good that Adam is alone. Then why was he very good before? Then why did he say that Job was a man, a perfect man? A man who, how did he say it again? A a man, let's just read it, I want to just get it right. And that's the mistake we make when we look at the book of Job. The fact that the Bible says that the man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. If you hear that, you say, ah, a young That's how they say it in Yoruba. What does that mean? Literally, it means human being has finished. That this is the epitome. This is the peak of humanity. But it wasn't so. At this point, amongst the men on the earth at that time, for natural people, that was the best that was available. But God came to take Job to another level. The trials of Job, the temptations of Job, were a result and a reflection of the, of the deficiency of the state he was in at that particular point in time. Job still needed to go to another level. And that level, I'm not discussing Job now, I've talked about him in previous times. That level is the level that we call righteousness that is by faith. At this point, he had righteousness basically by works. He had to get to another level. And what, because if you see it, you see that he was shocked at what happened to him. Why? A lot of his confidence was in how well he lived. 
So when God broke that confidence, he had to step into another level because he said to God afterwards, I've heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now I see you clearly. There was a new level of God he discovered. I'm trying to bring out something here. So get used to that stepwise increase in spiritual things. Adam was stage one. The final stage, let me quickly drop it, because I don't know how far we'll go into it, get into it today. The final stage is Christ. The final stage is Christ. God, read the scriptures. God often plays that game. The first one you hear will be Saul. He'll be rejected. Then the next one you hear is what? David. And he'll be accepted. It's a very common thing you find in scripture. So what you find here, all right, was Adam was the first, the first man. Then the second man was Christ Jesus. And that was actually the fulfillment of what God said. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Many of the prophetic words we hear in scripture. <laughs> Let me tell you how to be a Christian. Look for Christ in everything. How to be a Christian. Look for the face of Christ in everything. That is the problem I have with my brethren who preach some things about Judaism. That's Jews of today. When I listen to them, I say, sir, can't you see Christ is missing in this your interpretation? They'll say, ah, God is going to fulfill his promise he made to Israel. Outside of Christ? How is that possible? If he could do it outside of Christ, why did Jesus come? One of my favorite teachers would say, God has two covenant people on the earth. I said, that's against scripture. Unless you don't believe the revelations of Paul. Paul said he has made the two into one. The problem with their interpretation always is that they don't interpret those promises in Christ. They look for interpretations outside Christ. And it's not possible. You can Listen, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. From Genesis to Revelation, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I'm going somewhere. You see what I'm going to say? I'm trying to confirm that thing I said. There was a time God spoke to David concerning his son who will build a house for him. He said, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And everybody assumed that it was Solomon and that the temple was that one that Solomon built. Except that it is not so. Most certainly, it wasn't so. Solomon, time would not allow me now, but if you, if you, well, if you go to the book of Hebrews quickly, let's just peep, peep at that. If you go down to um, the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 1, there is something he said there, I want to just um, quickly show us. And if I something, I want you to see this referencing that Paul, who I believe wrote this, they did. you just be wondering, how did he connect this? And then once I realized that what happened was that it was the Lord Jesus that taught him these things. And that's why he was referring to them. In chapter 4, or let me just start from um, chapter... Okay, let's start from chapter 1, uh, verse 1, sorry. Did I say chapter 4? I wanted to say verse 4. Chapter 1, I said we should open to write. Yeah, let's just start from verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets... In many portions and many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, 
and he upholds, he said, and upholds all things by the word of his power. He said, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels. Now, he wanted to now start proving that he's superior to the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. To which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him. Now, this is the interesting part. This was the prophecy of Nathan. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Now, he was talking about Jesus Christ here. I will stop reading here. All right? And he said, no angel got this word from the mouth of God the Father, but the Lord Jesus Christ did. And then, so when you read that, you wonder, where did he say that? It's interesting that he said that when David wanted to build a te- the temple, all right? And God said to him that he couldn't build the temple, but that he was going to have a son that was going to build that temple. He said to him in verse um, um, which verse now? Second Samuel, sorry, chapter 7. Don't bother opening to it. I'll just quit for time's sake. In verse 14. He was saying concerning, he said, let's start from verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his father forever, of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Can you believe that? This was a prophecy given to David. Yet, this was by Nathan. And yet, everybody assumed that Solomon fulfilled this. But when I see Paul explain to us that no, it wasn't Solomon he was talking about. And that house was not the temple that Solomon built. No matter how glorious that house was, it was not a fulfillment. Whose house you and I now are? We are now the house. And Jesus, he said, is the architect of this new building. So you see that prophetic word, even though it appeared like it was addressed to Solomon, it wasn't. How do I know? That's what the revelations of Jesus Christ tells us here. Listen, when they tell you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, believe it. It is not possible to understand anything without looking at it through Christ. When God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, I'm telling you, he was talking about Christ. He was not talking about Adam. <laughs> he was talking about Christ. He was not talking about Adam. He said, what was Adam? The first step. Just like Solomon was his first step. The real fulfillment was Christ. That was the exact representation of his nature. That's why he called him the last Adam and the second man. That second man was what God wanted to make from the beginning. And you say, how? Okay, Adam couldn't have been, like you were saying. Yes, Adam could not have been. Why? Because for you to enter into that, you had to voluntarily submit. The flesh, the will, the soul that God gave to Adam, Adam had to lay down. I hope you are getting my point. Adam had to put it down first for him to, listen, the one God gave Adam initially was just a seed which he had to plant. Until he plants that seed, what God wanted to do could never manifest. So when Adam fell, it was not surprising. It was not shocking. 
In fact, he fitted the plan very well. Because Jesus was going to come. First thing, he got a prophecy out of the mouth of God. The, the seed of the woman will crush your head. That was Jesus being prepared. That's why God didn't like fight over it. How, how could the man fall? The man's falling did not hinder anything. If he did not fall, Jesus still had to come. Why? The real plan of God, that's where I was going actually. I pray I, because my time has gone for today now. I hope I'm able to get there. The real plan of God was for each Adam, each descendant of Adam, to be formed into the second man. I hope you're getting my point. When you are born, you are a descendant of Adam. Then when you are born again, are you getting it? When you are born, you are a descendant of whom? Adam. When you are born again, you are now a the seed of God. Are you getting my point? You are now the fulfillment of what God said from the beginning. And he said, except a man be born again. Let me put it another way. That prophecy that God gave from the beginning can never be formed in his life. I said to us before, the greatest thing God ever did is a believer in Christ Jesus. When you are born, you have the seed of man. The will of flesh. Flesh and blood. But when you are born... Again, is the, you are born of what? The spirit of God. Not of the will of man. Not of the will of flesh, but of God. You are getting what I'm going to explain. What I'm going to say, we must understand. You see, because that is the problem. You know, I was talking about faith just coming to our hearts. One of the reasons why we are frustrated, one of the reasons why we are confused, one of the reasons why difficulties make us know, why me, why me, what's going on? Why me, why me, am I the only person? All these bad things happening in my life. I said to us at that time, every difficulty is supposed to send you in search of God. As a believer in Christ Jesus, every difficulty is a step towards Christ-likeness. I'm not saying you sit, out, sit down in difficulty, but you must discover Christ to come out of it. Don't listen to what I'm going to say. Don't look for any escape out of difficulty that is not executed by perfection in Christ. Did you hear what I said? If God keeps your cheek down somewhere to be slapped, like we said earlier, and somebody said, let me help you talk to the boss. We just give him some money. They won't slap your cheek again. Tell the fellow, get behind me, Satan. You know why? Because God had put, you know, it was, let's read what that is. Jeremiah that said it. Let's just read it. Maybe it will help us. Lamentations chapter 3. I pray we'll get this thing I'm trying to bring out also. It's very important. Lamentations. Let's read it. I like to read the Bible, right? It said, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul, um, verse 19, sorry. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. He said, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. Loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He said, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. It It is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him, 
It is good that he waits silently, silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent. Says he, that is the Lord, has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly. Please bear that in mind. That is, there's always a reason. It's not because of his personal pleasure. He does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of man to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud a man in his lawsuit. Of these things the Lord does not approve. So what was he trying to say? He said, let me just stop here. If God does not approve of all of these things, then why will he do it? So he's saying, if somebody appears like he's suffering injustice, there is a reason why God has kept him there. I hope you're getting my point. He said, let him relax until that reason is fulfilled. Let him relax. Now, let me, I'm going to give a very good example. A man like um, Jacob. Now, listen to what I want to say. This teaching which I'm getting into now, trying to help, I'm trying to help us understand God's purpose in our individual lives. So that with faithfulness, we can work with him. God is building that initial prophecy into each one of us. Christ is to be formed in each individual. I hope you're getting my point. Bear it in mind. So, our example here is a man, Jacob. Jacob was born, first man, Adam. I hope you're getting my point. A supplanter. A devious character. And God was going to... Now, that was a type. And that's how we should open somewhere. Where was that? Deuteronomy 32. Now, for time's sake, we can't read it now. But that's the thing I was going to get to. All right? Now, what was God saying? This supplanter, I'm going to build... It was a type. I'm going to build my character into him. So you know what he did? Among the things he did, he sent him to the house of Laban. How many times did Laban change his wages? Ten times. How long was he in Laban's house? Twenty? Or Twenty-one years. Now, do you know Jacob could not have run away in the first year? No matter how harshly Laban treated him. Jacob could not have run away in the second year. Or in the tenth year. Or in the fourteenth year. It was when the fullness of God's purpose in his life in the house of Laban had been executed that God took time to go. Why was in the house of Laban? It is simple. To perfect the character of God in him. It's a type. Christians, whining must never be heard from your mouth. Because God is not trying to give you messages, Benz. He's trying to make your heart be exactly like that of Jesus Christ. The aim of faith is not, I declare it and I receive it. And you are not like Christ. In your desires, in your behavior, in your thoughts about life, in your opinions about everything. You are, fulfill, you are frustrating that initial prophecy that said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. There is a likeness of God that must be better than you. If you have to trek for five years, for ten years, for fifteen years, for it to be fulfilled, you know God doesn't trekking doesn't worry him. Have you heard the motto of trekkers? We shall get there. <laughs> I saw it recently. I burst into laughter. 
No, he said, we don't, already, we don't almost reach. You know, fire again. God doesn't have a problem with it. The things that human beings think are a problem, God said, for me, it's a stepping stone to my original prophetic word. The word that I said from the beginning. What I wanted to understand is this. God is looking for something. Somebody say, some, God is looking for something. Do you know that God lacks something? You know? Can God lack anything? Yes. And that's what he's looking for. He's searching for it everywhere. God can make mountains, so he doesn't lack mountains. God can make things. But one thing he cannot make by force is people who love him. Did you hear what I said? He can't, that one, he just has to patiently wait. He just has to patiently do what? Wait. In case you did not know it, that was why he put the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil in the garden. If that tree was not there, the Adam or his descendants, none of them would have ever become what God wanted them to be because it would have been coercion. What is that tree saying? saying that tree was speaking of independence. I don't want you. That's what that tree was saying. That was why he put it there. Say, if you don't want me, you can go. I hope you are getting my point. That's what, that's what that tree was saying. God made it clear. I will not force anybody to love me. I will not force anybody to fit into my plan of making everybody a son of mine. We'll talk about sonship. Our time has already gone now. Where he was going is for everybody to become what? A son. Remember I told you about submission. Sonship can never be by force. Otherwise, it won't be true sonship. No. There's a process. I like what I was watching, but I said once. He said, what was the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the tree of life doing there? He said, Adam, listen to what I'm going to say. I was chamber when I said it, all right? He said, Adam was supposed to, by a series of choices that he would make in life, make himself ready to partake of that tree of life. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, let me summarize. I've spoken at length. Let us go home. What am I going to say? God is trying to make us into the exact image of Jesus Christ so as to fulfill what he said at the beginning. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. What's the summary of it? That is one thing he lacks, and that's one thing he's going out for. Listen, if he finds anybody that was working with him in that regard, believe me, he will love the person, like we say in modern colloquial language, to pieces. That is the kind of person he's looking for. He said, the eyes of the Lord or the eye of the Lord runs to and through the whole earth. What is he looking for? He's looking for the person whose heart is completely his. Or King James says, perfect towards him. He said, when he finds such a one, he shows himself strong on their behalf. That's what he's looking for. Where we're going to read, Jeremy says, the lost portion is what? His people. Israel is the allotment of his inheritance. What does that mean? Jupiter is not the lost portion. Milky Way galaxy is not the lost portion. All the mountains and hills, that's not the lost portion. The cattle on the thousand hills, that's not his portion. In the midst of the whole of creation and everything he has ever done, just one thing he's looking for. He's trying to purify that thing for himself. You know what that person is? You know what that thing is? Good. Two people here have gotten. You know that thing, who, who, who that person is? Ah, the rest of you people look confused though. A few people here have gotten it. You know what that person is? You are not getting it. Personalize it well. Me. Mention your name, Banky. The lost portion is Banky. 
And the whole of creation. The lost portion. This is the portion. That is why if you pray against witch again, let me not tell you what will happen to you. Witches are not your problem. You are literally the most prized possession that he has. Let me tell you what the Lord does. He puts you down in the morning, staring at you like this and smile. Did you hear what I said? He looks at himself. He said, Jehovah, I try. Did you hear what I said? Yes. No, God, no God can heal himself. By myself, I have someone. So in the same manner, God will look at himself. He said, ah, God, you try. Let's bow down our heads and give thanks. Oh, God, let's give thanks for that. I am his people, if I can use that expression. And the allotment of his inheritance. We'll talk about that more. It's just the knowledge of these facts we need to have. And faith will be natural in our hearts. We'll talk about righteousness. How righteousness is by faith. It's not by what we have done. It's just because he loved us. The lost portion is his people. The lost portion is his people. The lost portion is his people. I am the lost portion. You need to say that to yourself at least seven times. I am the lost portion. I am the lost portion. When they are sharing everything out, I am the lost portion. That's what he's looking for. I am the lost portion. That's what he's walking towards. I am the lost portion. That's what he wants to acquire. I am the lost portion. He wants me to love him voluntarily. I am the lost portion. When I gave my life to Christ, that was the beginning. I am the lost portion. Now he's perfecting Christ in me. He said, my children, my little children of whom I traveled in birth again until Christ. That portion of the Lord is formed in you. I am the lost portion. You need to say it to yourself several times. I am the allotment of his inheritance. When they are sharing inheritance, say this one is God's own. Jupiter, they can give to an angel. Milky Way galaxy, they can give to somebody. I know that's Jupiter is inside there. They can put all the billions and hundreds of billions of galaxies and share it among the angels. They can share the cattle on a thousand hills, which belong to God also. They can give to the angels. Or give to human beings. The earth belongs to us. He has given that to us. But he said, what is my own portion? My people. The lost portion is banking. I am the lost portion. You need to give God thanks for that. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. I pray we understand these things fully. What we need to do every day is prepare ourselves to be presented to him. I am the lost portion. That's what God is looking for. I am the lost portion. I am the allotment of his inheritance. Let's take some time to give the Lord thanks for opening our eyes to this truth again. That we are special to him. That is mindful of us. Yeah, he's very mindful of us. So let's give the Lord thanks and say, Lord, we thank you. Thank you because I'm special to you.